he said, Christmas is not a holy day. It's not a holiday. It doesn't exist. You'll work in the sugarcane fields on December 25th, just like you did on the 24th, just like you do on the 26th. It's just another day. You will not have a tree. You will not have lights. You will not sing songs. It doesn't exist. And so they didn't have Christmas in Cuba for 45 years until I went over and took a Christmas tree and moved the post back where it belonged, and now they have Christmas in Cuba. I mean, it's marvelous. It was, a, it was an absolute history-changing, history history-making event uh, in 2004 and 2005 when I did that. And, uh, and now you go to Cuba at Christmas time, there's, there's songs and lights and Christmas trees. And all. But anyway, we had this president in the White House, and he said, he said you don't have Christmas. And he said, and you, can't, you, can't, you cannot have a Christmas tree. He said, if you're going to have a tree, you must call it, M-U-S-T must, must call it a holiday tree. Remember that nonsense? And he said, uh, uh, you don't say Merry Christmas. You say Happy Holiday." Right? Yeah. Everything's, to, everything's to go against Jesus. Take the Christ out. Isn't that right? And, and then he said, uh, don't pray. Now, who was it? Oh, Target, I guess. Target went along with that nonsense. And so when he said that, Target actually removed all the Santa Clauses and the big red kettles and the Salvation Army that took up money for poor people for Christmas, kicked them out. Target didn't have them anymore. So I quit shopping at Target. They don't get my money anymore. But um, he said, don't pray, but have moments of silence. Well, now, you know, a moment of silence, um, the purpose of a moment of silence is to show respect or even honor. If you were at a funeral and they brought the casket down here, you'd stand up, and you'd do this. Or the pastor might say, let's have a moment of silence. Because there's nothing to say. There's no reason to speak. There's, no, there's nothing to say. We're just showing honor. We're just showing respect. Right? Are, are, are y'all here? But if I were the devil, that's what I'd have said. If, and I'm not saying that president was the devil. I'm just saying if, that, if he was a tool of the devil, that, that's, that's what I would have said had I been the devil and I wanted to plan against the church and against, against Christians. That's the first thing I'd have told him to do is don't talk. Because God creates through the lips. And I don't want God creating what you say. So you keep your mouth shut. What, what, if, what if we were all, say there's 100,000 of us in a football stadium in here somewhere, and we're all there and we're enjoying what's going on, and all of a sudden there's an active shooter down at the mall or at a child's school or something, and what if the announcer said, folks, there's this active shooter down here and he's, he's killing people at the school or the mall. Everybody stand up and hold hands, 100,000 of us. Stand up and hold hands let's have a moment of silence. You know what good would that do? None whatsoever. This is not the time to have a moment of silence. This is not the time we're not showing honor, we're not showing respect. This is time to do something. And so we could all hold hands, you know, and just all have this moment of silence and nothing will happen. People would die. But what if the announcer said, folks, there's an active shooter down here killing people at the school and the mall. Let's all stand up, hold hands, and let's take authority in the name of Jesus and stop this right now. By the blood of the covenant and the covenant of blood, we bind that spirit. And all of a sudden, we would speak 
in heaven would say, yes, we get to do something. Heaven can move. What does heaven do when you have a moment of silence? Nothing. Nothing. Your angel just standing in heaven saying, say something. And you're just... See, faith can't work. Again, I'm not trying to give you a sermon with three points of point. I'm trying to tell you how faith works. Just how this stuff works. He, he said, I watch over my word to perform it, Jeremiah 1 12. Angels are watching all the time. All the time. They have to be watching. They can't, they can't go to sleep because you might say something or you might do something on the word that they need to move on. I watch over my word, what for? To perform it. So the angels are watching constantly, watching, 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 seeing if you're going to say something, do something, so they can perform it. But they're always on duty. I thought it was so cool, Pastor Mike, that when my son Paul got killed, uh, my dear friend, you probably your friend too, Hilton Sutton. Hilton was the dear, dear, dear friend forever. He's a prophet of God. And, uh, and, and, and he called me and, and talked to me and and uh, he said, Terry, he said, uh, I want you to know something. He said, the cemetery is the most peaceful, pleasant place on the earth. I said, what? Doc, what are you talking about? And he said, he said listen, he said, he said, when my wife Joanne died, and he said, then my, my, my daughter Lisa died, he said, I, I put a bench out there at the grave, and he said, uh, I go out there in the mornings, he said, not to talk to them. They're not there. I don't go talk to them. He said, I go out there because it's so, the Holy Spirit's there. He said, the Holy Spirit's always at cemeteries. I said, what? He said, stop and think about it. He said, he said the day's coming when God's going to blow the trumpet. And we're going to go. But the Bible says the dead are going to go first. They're going to go before we go. He said, so the Holy Spirit doesn't know what day. He doesn't know the day, doesn't know the hour. He just knows it's coming. So he has to constantly be at the grave, hovering over every Christian in the, on the planet because the instant that trumpet sounds, he's got to get them up first. He said, so when I walk into the cemetery, I just say, good morning, Holy Spirit, because he's there. He's always there. And I said, well, that's cool. I've never thought about that before. You know, it, I, it is true that God's watching his word to perform. The Holy Spirit's having to always watch. The angels having to always watch, always listen, always pay attention to see if you're going to do something that's going to involve them. Amen? I'm, I don't care if it's something simple or something hard. You know, when Pastor took up the offering this morning, we already had our check made out. We was happy about it and glad about it, looking forward to give. And so whenever he started to take up the offering, Renee's pulled the check out and we prayed over it. And uh, uh, just that act got heaven's attention. Oh, Terry and Renee are paying the tithe. Terry, Terry and Renee are giving an offering. So we need, we need to get involved in this. We need to bless it. Right? Because we're moving on the word. We didn't do it because we like Mike. We didn't do it because it's Sunday. We didn't do it because we thought that might be a good idea. No, no, we did it for no other reason than the Word says it. So we're moving on the Word. 
and then we're praying over that word, and then we're agreeing on that word. So now heaven is obligated and bound to do something about it. Right? So constantly heaven is watching the word, watching the world for the word to perform it. Constantly. Let me read you a scripture you're all familiar with. I'll tell you a story you're all familiar with. Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 22 and going through verse 33. You all know this story. What's happened here is that John the Baptist has just had his head cut off. All right? He's just been murdered because of that perverted woman. And uh, you, you, you need to remember now that Jesus and John were cousins. And, and they'd been knowing each other ever since they were both in the womb. When Mary came over to Cousin Elizabeth's house and said, Hey, I'm pregnant. Well, Elizabeth was already pregnant, and, and whenever Mary said, I'm pregnant, John, on the inside of Elizabeth's womb, jumped and rejoiced because he knew who she was pregnant with. Are you here? And so they're both born, and they're cousins. They play together, do stuff together. They love each other. Grew up, became preaching buddies together. Right? I mean, who else would have understood Jesus any better than John? Who else would have understood John any better than Jesus? And so now Jesus' cousin, his preaching buddy, somebody he loves, has been slaughtered, murdered by wicked, evil assassin. Right? So Jesus is hurting about it. You know, when someone passes away here, you know, sometimes Christians get mad at you if you, if you mourn or grieve, and they say, oh, you shouldn't do that because, I, I mean, I, you know, they're in heaven. Well, so was John. Don't you think Jesus knew John was in heaven? Don't you think Jesus knew more about heaven than anybody? But he still hurt over it. And so he went away, so I'm going to go over by myself. And so he went off by himself, but what happened? Here came the people. And they started saying, pray for me, preach to us, touch me, talk to me. And so he had this whole multitude he's having to deal with. And then in a little while, he, he wanted to get loose, and he wanted to go to the other side of the lake. And so finally he just turned to the side, but he said, guys, y'all get in the boat and go on to the other side. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send the people away. And then I'm going to go up here and pray a little bit, and I'll catch up with you. Now, I don't know how they thought he was going to catch up with them, but they said, sure, boss. So they went ahead and just got in the boat and left. And so anyway, we'll pick this up here. It says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into his ship and go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went unto a mountain apart to pray. I always figured if Jesus had to pray, we probably do too, right? He went in, into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, it's getting dark now. When the evening was come, he was there alone. Everybody say alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. So these guys are professional. They've been on this water all their lives. They're, they're not novices. They know what they're doing. But they're having trouble with the boat because the wind's, the wind's contrary. And they're being tossed about. And so when the ship was down in the midst of the waves, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him, 
walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a spirit, it's a ghost. And they cried out for what? Fear. Can you imagine that those great apostles, great men of God, one more time got in fear? Everybody say, fear and faith cannot live in the same house. Fear and faith cannot live in the same house. Fear and faith cannot live in the same house. You know, we, surely we Christians understand that there's two major spirits in the universe. There's the spirit of fear that's a force, a powerful, strong force from hell. And when you talk about fear or scary things and you, you entertain fear and you, you maybe watch a horror movie or tell, sit around as a kid and tell a ghost story, what, whatever, when you entertain fear in any way, shape, form, or fashion, it motivates hell and moves hell. That's why you have nightmares at night after you do that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden something's under the bed and something's going bump in the dark. Something's in the closet because you've entertained that fear and it brought hell with it. It brought the spirit of fear. And yet... Faith is a strong, powerful, life-giving force from heaven. And when you talk faith, act on faith, do anything with faith, it motivates heaven and moves heaven. Faith destroys fear, and fear destroys faith. Right? They can't live in the same house. They absolutely cannot live together. And so every time in the Old Testament and every time in the New Testament an angel showed up, or, or Jesus in this case showed up, first thing they'd say to people is, Fear not! Don't be afraid. First thing they do every time is denounce fear. And so they said, it's a spirit. It's a ghost. They cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke to them saying, cheer up, guys. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Don't be scared. Don't get in fear. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, if it's you, Bid me come to you out on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. Scared, 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 fear, 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 fear. He was afraid, got back in fear. And beginning to sink. I thank God he didn't sink, didn't sink, didn't drown. He just began to sink. When he began to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, I mean, dressed him down. You know, charismatics and weird Christians just always think Jesus is so sweet and so nice and so kind and such a good little sissy and such a good little panty waist and he just always loves everybody and he's just meek and mild. No, 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 he dressed Peter down, chewed him out, right? And he, he said to Peter whenever he had to rescue him, then it says, Oh, you of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? Peter, what's the matter with you? You've been with me all this time, and you're still operating in fear. You're still doubting. You walked out here on the water to me, and you still doubt. What's wrong with you? You of little, <laughs> you of little faith. Isn't that right? Another time he told him, he said, how is it you have no faith? Peter here at least had a little. He told him before, he said, you didn't get any. How is it you have no faith? How's that even possible? How's that even possible? You've been with me all this time and you have zero, zero faith? 
Are y'all with me? He said, uh, Oh, thou of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? And when they were come to the ship, the wind ceased, and then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, you are the Son of God. Now, put this back in perspective. The angels this particular day are sitting in heaven, and they're watching. They're watching the boss, Jesus. They're watching the disciples. They're watching the multitude that came. They're watching. The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show themselves strong. Can't do it unless there's a place. They don't have a place. They're, they're, they're watching the words they're performing, right? They want to create the fruit of the lips, so they're watching. They know something good's going to happen with Jesus, but they're watching. And uh, they're probably turned to each other and say, hey, you know, the boss has had a tough day. I mean, you know, John's been killed. Of course, he's up here with us now. We were talking to him a while ago. But, uh, you know, Jesus said about that. And now the people are out bugging him, and so he's going to spend time with them and heal them and help them and, and all that. So they're just watching. And all of a sudden, Jesus uh, turns around and tells the disciples, the guy, I'll tell you what, y'all go on and get in the boat and go on the other side, and I'll, I'll send the people away, and I'll, I'll go pray, and I'll, I'll catch up with you. I, the angels might turn to each other and said, how's he going to catch up with them? He sent them away. I wonder what he's going to do. Because before this, he never walked on the water. This is the first time. And so, uh, sure enough, the boys get in the boat. They take off, the staff. Jesus finishes up with the people, prays for them, goes up and prays for a while. And uh, all of a sudden, now that it's getting dark, Jesus stood up and said, well, I'll go catch up with my guys. And he looks around to see where they are, and he sees them. You know, in the spirit, didn't see them in the, in the natural. He just saw them in the spirit out there that knew where they were. And so he just said, ah, walk out there and get in the boat with them. So his intention was to go walk on the water, get in the boat, ride to the other side. That's what he intended to do. And so he started doing that. And so the angels are probably poking each other and saying, hey, God, that's pretty cool. He's never done that before. Look, the boss is walking on water. He never has done that. That's, that's, that's cool. And uh, so they're watching the boys out there in the boat and doing, the boat's doing this, and it's dark, and Jesus is walking. And all of a sudden, one of them sees something out there which is Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. And then, and then they see it and look at it, and they say, oh, my God, there's something out there. What is it? What is it? What is it out there in the world? Oh, my God, it's a ghost. And they're crying out for fear. Don't you know the angels are saying, they, those knotheads are in fear again. They think the boss is the ghost. And then Jesus says, hey, hey, come on, guys, cheer up. It's me. It's me. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Now, if they had just left it alone, he'd have walked on over and gotten the boat with him and they'd have gone the other side. But Peter couldn't leave it alone. Right. I've had people say to me for years, you may have too, Pastor. I said, Brother Terry, how come Jesus made Peter walk? He knew Peter's faith wasn't man. He didn't make him walk. He had nothing to do with it. Peter's the one that forced that thing. It was Peter's idea. Peter stood up and said, Well, Lord, if it's you... He just said, it's me. He said, it's I. Be not afraid. Well, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Don't you know the angels got excited and said, hey, hey what's this? What's the boss going to do now? Peter just said, if it's you, bid me come. The boss just said, it's me. 
So now if he doesn't bid him come, the boys are going to think it's not him. But it is him, so what's he going to do? Get ready, guys. If this goes the way it could go, if Peter gets up and puts his foot out of that boat, if Jesus, if the boss tells him to come and he moves on that word, we're going to have to do something. What do y'all want to do, guys? You, you, you want to make Peter light or the water hard? What are you going to do? Because <laughs> we're going to we're gonna have to fix this. But if he doesn't do anything, we won't, we won't do it. We'll just sit back down. And so Jesus have the same dilemma out there standing on the water. He's thinking, if, if it's me, bid him come. I just told him it was me. I just said, it's me. Don't be afraid. Now he said, if it's you. So now if I don't bid him come, he's going to think it's not me. They're going to think it is a ghost. So I don't have any choice except to tell him to come. All right, come. Now the word of the Lord's been issued. Now those angels are standing up really interested in this. Come on, guys, we, we, we may have to do something here. And all of a sudden, Peter stood up and raised his foot, went over the side. And when he did, heaven had to go to work. They're watching over the word to perform it, right? The word's been uttered by Jesus. Is a man going to operate on it or is he not? Ah, he is. We got to do something. So they went, and I don't know how, how they did it. I don't know if they made the water hard or Peter light. I don't know what they did. But Peter, all of a sudden now, is defying the laws of gravity and doing something supernatural, impossible, and walking on water. It's a marvelous, marvelous, wonderful miracle. People forget it's a miracle because they think they remember that Peter began to sink. In fact, most church thinks he sank and maybe drowned. And so Peter's walking on the water. It's a miracle. It's wonderful. It's great. The word is working. He's being upheld by the word. They, heaven is performing the word. They're, they're, they're creating the fruit of the lips, right? And so the devil, remember the devil? The devil is there to do his job. What's his job? Steal, kill, destroy. He's going to try to steal the word first so he can get you off your faith. And so he's there saying, what am I going to do to fix this? I need to stop this. And so he's sitting up here on Peter's shoulder, and he tells him something totally, absolutely irrelevant. Doesn't mean anything. Has nothing to do with anything. Has nothing to do with miracles. Nothing. He just, it, was just, it was just to break Peter's focus off of Jesus or off of the word. So the devil whispered in his ear and said, Peter, Peter, the wind's blowing. Because it says Peter saw the wind was boisterous and began to sink. Peter, psh, 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 the wind's blowing, the wind's blowing. And he looked around and said, oh, my God, the wind's blowing. I can't walk on water. And began to sink. Now, that had nothing to do with anything. You can't walk on water, whether it's calm or whether it's not. You go out here at the, the lake or the swimming pool on a calm day and the water's flat, you can't walk on it. Wind has nothing to do with whether you can walk on water or not. The devil just told him anything, any dumb thing, to break his focus, to break his attention off Jesus. And so he said, Peter, 
the wind's blowing. Oh, my God, the wind's blowing. I can't walk on water. And begin to sink. Right? This is how this stuff always works. Heaven's going to move on the word. When they, when, when, when they do, you're going to start moving. And heaven's going to move on your behalf. And the devil's going to tell you something stupid. Because his job is to steal and to kill and to destroy. Get your mind off the word. Get your focus off the word. Get your focus off Jesus. So, Peter began to sink and said, Lord, save me. And Jesus said, got that, grabbed him. And then they walked back to the boat together. I mean, Jesus didn't carry him piggyback or something. I mean, they just walked back to the boat together. And got in the boat and rode the rest away the other side. Now, don't you know next day at lunch, sitting around the campfire, they're having whatever, coffee or whatever, sitting around talking. Don't you know they were talking about this? And said, man, wasn't that cool last night? That's the greatest thing I ever saw in my life, Peter, walking on the water. You know, Matthew might said, gee, I tell you what, he was standing right, sitting right next to me. When he stood up and started to step his foot out there, he said, I got goosebumps on my goosebumps. Greatest thing I ever saw in my life. Judas may have said, I, I, I could have made some money off that if I'd known about it. <laughs> Thomas may have said, I still don't believe it. I just don't, I just don't, I don't But yet, what did heaven do for those other 11 guys? It's not a trick question. What did heaven do for those other guys? Nothing. Nothing. Because they didn't do anything. They stayed in the boat. But what did heaven do for Peter? He walked. Amen. Heaven did absolutely nothing for those other guys because they did nothing. Had an old preacher many, 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 many decades ago. An old preacher was preaching a message one day, and he called it, Are you a wet water walker or a dry boat rider? <laughs> and he came to me after service. He said, Terry, young man, he said, Are you a wet water walker or a dry boat rider? And I said, Neither one, sir. He said, What? I said, Neither one. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a dry water walker. <laughs> I don't intend to sink, Right? But that's how heaven operates, and that's how faith operates. Every time, all the time, every day, heaven is watching the earth constantly to see if a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, anywhere is going to say something, do something, move on the word of God. Because if they do, heaven must move. And heaven's watching you, and your angels are watching you all the time. Watching you folks at home, watching you folks watching online. They're watching you, watching you, listening, 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 watching, watching, watching. Say, oh, is my guy going to say something? Is my lady going to say something? Are they going to do something that we need to make happen? But most of the time, they have nothing to do because the church doesn't know how to, how to use them. And, and, and the church doesn't understand it. Pastor will stand up and preach some strong message on angels. Hebrews chapter 1 says, angels are ministering spirits sent by God. I mean sent from heaven to minister for those who are heirs of salvation, which is you, which is us. We're the heirs of salvation. Their job is to minister for us. That's their job. Hebrews tells you that. It's their job. And so pastor preaches that. 
and we sit there and listen to pastors say, wow, that's a marvelous word. That's tremendous. That's great. And so we go home and we get in bed and then we foul that all up and say, angels, bring me some coffee. Angels mow my grass. Angels change the oil in my car. And none of that happens. Bring me the newspaper. Does anybody get newspapers anymore? Bring me, you know, and nothing happens. So they come back and say, now, Pastor, that word just doesn't work. That's just not right. I'm not sure if you're, if you're, if you're studying and hearing from God or not. No, 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 no. It's because you don't understand what their job is and your job is. Their job is not to do things that you can do. They don't do the possible. They do the impossible. They do the miraculous. They made Peter walk on water, right? When Herod, Acts chapter 12, when Herod arrested, killed, killed James, the apostle James, cut his head off, and then he said, I saw it please the Jews that I did that, so I'll just kill Peter too. And so he, he sent out soldiers to arrest Peter, put him in jail, and uh, he said, now after Easter, I'm going to bring him out and kill Peter. But in the meantime, I'm going to make sure he doesn't get away because the church is getting kind of squirrely here. They're, they're upset about James. So he gave him 14 soldiers to guard Peter and put two outside his cell to guard him, put two inside his cell with him and chained him with two chains and put him in the second ward of the prison. This is maximum security. There's no way out of this. It says, but the church was praying without ceasing. They said, it's our bad. You killed James. It's our bad. We were asleep. You're not going to kill Peter. And so they went to prayer without ceasing. And so Peter laid down one night with those two chains on him, the two guards in the cell with him, two outside, and he laid down to go to sleep, and an angel walked in. Right? And the angel said four things to him. He said, uh, in fact, he kicked him. You go read it in Acts chapter 12. The angel kicked him and said, Peter, get up. And so Peter got up. Angel didn't pick him up. He told Peter to do it. And it said, uh, he said, uh, put your clothes on. So Peter said, huh, what? Okay. He put his clothes on. The angel didn't dress him. Now the angel did something else supernatural. He made the chains fall off supernaturally. Peter couldn't do that. And then he looked at Peter. And he said, Peter, put your shoes on. So Peter said, okay, okay. Put his shoes on. And he said, now come with me. And so Peter followed him right out of the cell. And he said, so the, so the door of the cell opened. It says when they got to the great iron gate of the city, it swung open of its own accord. Supernatural. All those things Peter couldn't do, the angel did. But all the things that Peter could do, the angel didn't do. He said, get up, put your shoes on, put your clothes on, come with me. Right? And so then Peter goes back over there to where the church is praying and says, hey, guys, God got me out of here. And so Herod killed those 14 soldiers the next morning. And then he went on vacation by the seashore and stood up and made a speech. And I think he was a great speech, but he could read the teleprompter. And people loved it when he spoke. They loved it when he spoke. And they said this in Acts chapter 12. They said, these are not the words of a man, but of a God. And then it says this, and because Herod, this is the king, man. This is somebody important. This, he said, because Herod gave not God the glory, God killed him. And the worms ate him. Right? All because the church was praying. 
all because of the church, who is in authority and dominion, the church is praying, no, you don't kill Peter. That's not going to happen. Church, there's never been a time like this time that we need to be the church. Never been a time. This is our day to shine. This is our day to say, no, 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 no. We live by the laws of the Word of God. Amen? This is our day to, you know, you know, throughout history, whenever there was a disaster or a problem or a horrible uh, thing that happened, a disease or, a, or a World War I, World War II, 9-11, all these horrible things that happened, terror, this, that, and the other, uh, the world gets scared because that's how hell works. That's their only play is fear. That's their weapons, fear. And so throughout history, the, the, the world gets scared. They run, jump in the foxhole. They're scared. Don't know what to do. No answers. So then they look up above the foxhole after a few days and see, is there anybody out there? Is there anybody there? Is there anybody, anybody? anybody? And they see the church. There you are walking around, the church, Christian. So after a little while, they'll crawl out of the foxhole and go to the Christians and say, hey, how come you're not sick? How come you're not scared? How come you're, how come, how come, how come, how come, how come? And the Christians will come on, go to church with me. And the church has always grown. History said, tells us this. But for the first time in history ever, and they looked at the guy next to him in the foxhole, and it was the church. For the first time in history, the church has gotten scared. Shame on us. Shame, 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 shame on us. We never got scared before. Right? And so the church got scared. And so the world looks out to the foxhole and sees anybody out there, and there's nobody there. The churches are empty. The churches are shut down. Their Christian friends, they've been witnessing to them for over the years. They don't go to church anymore. They stay home in their pajamas. So they're saying, who can be our hero? Who can we talk to? Who, who, who can help us? Who can, who can encourage us? Where can we get an answer? There, there, there's no answers. Now, thank God there are churches that never shut or only shut for the original, the original two. You know, we tried to be nice in the original deal. They said, give us 14 days to flatten the curve. And most pastors said, okay, we're nice. Our people can handle two weeks. It's okay. And here we are two, almost two and a half years later. There are churches that have shut down all over the world that, that have never reopened and never will. Some of them never will. Renee and I were in Lake Charles, Louisiana a few months ago and, and, and preaching, and, and there's three big churches in that town that had shut down when the thing first started. Big churches in Lake Charles. And uh, the week we were there preaching, those three churches all announced we're, we're done. We're not coming back. It's over. That's never happened before. Smite the shepherd, scatter the sheep. Let's get rid of the church. And the powers that be in Washington say if we can get rid of the church or control it and get rid of mom and pop stores, we can turn this thing communist. And again, I say over my dead body. What's the church going to say? What's the church going to say? What's the church going to do? I'm proud of y'all. Y'all are here. Amen. But see, we've got to be the light. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. There's not anybody else. If you fail, it's, it's, it's done. Amen. God sent Adam and he failed. Sent Jesus, the second man, Adam. He didn't fail. Right? And so now we're in the third phase because there's not going to be a third man, Adam. If we fail, 
God loses. Right? When Jesus came out of that grave and looked around and he said, wow, I had 12 and I had another 77. I had 82. Now the 77 is gone. And now one of the 12 has uh, betrayed me and killed himself. So I'm down to 11. And now Peter's backslid and he's gone and he denied me and cursed that he ever knew me and said he's going back to fishing, which is what he used to do, going back to his old business. He, he was a fisherman when Jesus found him. And he didn't, when at the cross, he said, I go fishing. But he didn't mean I go fishing like Terry Mines means when I say I go fishing. I mean I'm going out here and drown some worms and I'll be back after a while. And Peter didn't mean that. He meant I, I used to be a fisherman and I'm going back to what I used to do. He backslid. Jesus is down to 10 now. And I've had people say to me, and everybody tell you, Peter, Peter didn't backslide. He didn't backslide. Yes, he did. You could read, the, read, the, read the very last of the book of Mark. It says, when the women went to the tomb, the angel was there. And the angel said to him, said, why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. He's alive. And, and the angel said, now go tell his disciples and Peter that he's risen. Isn't that weird? The angel didn't consider Peter a disciple anymore. You'd have thought that had Peter on speed dial number one, right? No. You'd thought that he'd say, go tell the disciples, and they thought, yeah, well, tell Peter first. No, no, no. Go tell the disciples. Oh, yeah, and tell Peter that he's risen. So Peter's gone. Judas is dead. Nobody believed him. Nobody believed he had raised from the dead. If he had told this crew, hey, I'll be back, they're going to kill me, but I'll be back in three days. We'd have just taken our Bibles and our, you know, our tambourines and our guitars and our video cameras and our worship music and our fried chicken, and we'd have just gone to the cemetery and hung out for, and had a camp meeting for three days, wouldn't we? I doubt it. Would, would we? They didn't. Peter didn't. His own mama didn't. Mary didn't believe he was going to raise up. Where was she? At the crucifixion. I mean, at the, at the resurrection. She wasn't there. Peter wasn't there. James wasn't there. John wasn't there. Not a one of them were there. Not a one of them believed it. Isn't that right? He had absolutely nobody. Like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said, I turned around and looked, and no man stood with me, save the Lord. Man, you can have a whole crowd that's going with you. Hey, Pastor Mike, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you, you lead us and we'll follow. And then, you know, you turn around and look a little bit, say something to them. And the, where'd they go? Let me tell you something. I need to quit. But let me tell you something. We need fathers and mothers in the faith. They're everything to me. I don't know what they mean to you. I, they, listen. There, there are phrases and nuggets and sentences, not even sermons, but just sentence, just a word that, that some of those old generals have said to me personally over the years. Not that I read in a book or heard on a tape, but I mean, they, they said it to me that when we were friends that, I mean, I've lived by. I preached a message here one time called uh, God's a Good Checker Player. Some of y'all remember that. That's just something that John Osteen said to me when I was an 18-year-old kid. I was driving him down the road, and, and he said, hey, Terry, and I said, yes, sir. And he said, God's a good checker player. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and I'm driving. Drive went, miles went by. Time went by. And I, I said, sir. May, he said, yes. I said, may I ask you a question? He said, of course. I said, what does that mean? <laughs> what do you mean God's a good checker player? And he said, well, he said that God's a good checker player, and he never moves out of turn. 
He said, so if you're praying about something, fasting about something, believing God for something, using your faith, declaring the word, and, and nothing's happening, something should be happening, but nothing's happening, it isn't working, he said, you need to go back and check and see whose turn it is. Because he said, if it's your turn, God won't move. That has, that, that was 1968. That's 54 years ago. And I've lived by that ever since. When things aren't working, things aren't right, and I'm praying, I'm believing, something, I'm saying, hey, Lord, whose turn is it here? And I go back, Paul said, examine yourself. So I go back and examine myself. One day, old Roberts called me up. up to, to, he said, Terry, come on up here and let's have some, some lunch. I said, yes, sir. So I ran up to ORU, you know, and went to his office, went to his private dining room there up, off of his office overlooking the prayer tower. And, and, uh, uh, and he said, this, there's, just, there's two ministries in the, in, the, in the news at that time where one minister was trying to bring down the other one. They've got it in the news media. They've got all kind of garbage going on, accusations back and forth all, all over the United States. I mean, it's a big, big story. And he said, Terry, he said, uh, the Bible says, be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. I said, yes, sir. And then he gave me a whole little sermonette about how doves have no gallbladder and no gall and no bile. And, and he gave me that whole deal. I said, yes, sir. And he said, now, he said, you can be wise as a serpent. In other words, you can be right. You can be correct. You can see something, it's a problem, and you're, you're right, it's a problem. You, you're right. What you saw is a problem. He said, but the instant you become harmful with it, as opposed to harmless, you're wrong. Even though you were right, you're now wrong. And the problem's going to come back on you. And he said, these two ministers, and he knew them both, and I knew them both personally, and he called them by name, and he said, now this guy sees a problem with that guy. He said, there's a problem financially, there's a problem with sex. He said, he's right, he's correct, he's right. But said he hasn't handled it right. He hasn't been harmless. Said he should have just called some of us ministers in and we, we, we would have dealt with it. But he went to the news media and he went to, to everywhere, spread it everywhere. And he, he's being harmful with it. He said because of that, even though he was right, he's wrong. And he said, I saw him in the spirit. I said, he's, I saw him fall twice. He said, he's going to fall twice. You watch, he'll fall twice. He said, the second fall may kill him. I, can't, I hadn't figured that out yet if it, was, if it was spiritual or physical. But he said, but he's, he is going to fall twice. And he said, and, and the second one could kill him. But he said, he'll never be what he was again. Never be what he was again. Never, never get back to the level he was at in the ministry. Even if he comes back, he'll never get to where he was. And I said, yes, sir. So I, I watched, and pretty soon that minister fell big time. The whole world knew it. He stood up and apologized and cried and said, I'm sinned against God. Well, great for that. Praise the Lord. But then, lo and behold, wasn't a few more months, and he, got, he fell again. And the whole world knew it. He didn't die, and he did come back to the ministry, but it's like 20 cents on the dollar to what it once was. And I've never forgotten that. I never have forgotten that. I've never, never, never forgot One little thing the old Robert said to me, that old general, that father in the face said to me, I've lived by. As I travel, I see a lot of things wrong, but I'm not going to go be harmful with it. I have to go deal with a lot of nasty stuff and try to help people out and straighten things up and even set some people down out of the ministry over the years but never been harmful. There's just those little nuggets. We need those fathers in the faith. 
We're not out here all by ourselves. We're not just doing our own thing. We, we need our fathers and mothers. I was at a big pastor's meeting one day, and, and, and then we went to lunch and had a bunch of pastors at lunch, and they had a head table and two side tables, kind of like a horseshoe, a U. And uh, this pastor was sitting three or four people. I was at the head table, and he's on the leg down three or four people. We could still talk. And he said, hey, Brother Terry. And I said, yes, sir. He said, hey, you're coming to my church in about three months. And I said, yeah, yeah I appreciate the invitation. I'm looking forward to it. Never had to preach for him before. And he said, listen, now, when you get to my church, don't talk about the old guys. I said, excuse me? He said, when you get to my church, they don't talk about the old guys. I said, what old guys are you talking about? He said, well, you know, you talk about John Osteen and Teal Osborne and Oral Roberts and, and uh, Hill and Sutton and Lester Summerall, and you talk about these guys, and you know Kenneth Copeland and Fred Price. I said, you know Kenneth and Fred are still with us, right? You know they're still here. And uh, he said, anyway, don't, don't, don't talk about them. He said, my church doesn't know who they are. And I said, well, pastor, if your church doesn't know who they are, that's your fault. You're, you're the pastor. You're supposed to tell them. That's your, that's your job. So you're, 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 you're derelict in your duties. You're not doing your job. You're not a good pastor. And uh, I said, uh, you know, Jesus talked about the old guys. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I mean, you know, Peter talked about the old guys. Paul talked about the old guys. They all talked about the old guys. And I said, uh, what do you do? Preach, your, preach the, the old guys' sermons in your church and then... You tell your church you thought it up, you didn't think it up, you got it from the old guys. I said, you're making your church think that you're the do-all, be-all, end-all, that you thought all this up, that, that, you're, that there's no one, none greater than you? I said, no, no, we have a legacy. We came from somewhere. We have a legacy we can point to. And say, I know where I got that, right? And I said, uh, I said well, I can fix this problem. I said, uh, we're canceling the meeting. I'm not coming. He said, oh, no, Brother Jay, please, no, 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 you need to come. I need, I need you, man. I said, well, no, no sense in me coming. Just heard on tape. Hi. I'm still living on stuff they told me today. Not I'm talking about somebody special in my life said something to me that they're a father to me. And I said, you, you, so I'm just not going to come. He said, no, please, I'm begging you to come. And I said, you need them in your life. We all need fathers in the faith. We all need somebody that we can look to and go to and look up to and men, they mentor us. Isn't that right? And we honor them. I mean, we honor them. I've had my fathers in faith tell me stuff that I absolutely didn't even agree with. I just said, yes, sir. And then I never did what they said because I just, even though I didn't agree that they was right, I just, I just never did it again because my father told me not to. You know, David could have killed King Saul. I mean, he was in the cave with him and had the knife and could have, he wouldn't do it. He said, I won't touch God's anointing. I won't do it. Isn't that something? I think about that all the time. I was thinking this week about Mephibosheth. You know, Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son, and he had fallen at the stairs when he was little, and it, it messed his feet up, and he was crippled. He couldn't walk. And so you're a dead man, and, and he died. Jonathan uh, was David's wonderful friend, and 
he died because of what his daddy did because of Saul, what Saul did. And so now this kid now is just crippled and alone and scared David's going to kill him. And so one day David said, isn't there, just, isn't there anybody left of, of, of Jonathan's family, of Saul's family that I could bless? Because he was my father. I honor him. Isn't there anybody left of his whole family that I could, I could bless? And somebody in the household said, well, you know, Jonathan had a boy, Saul's grandson. He said, he's really? What's his deal? I said, well, he, you know, he's crippled, and he's just over here in this hut by himself, you know, and, and he just, you know, living out his life in poverty. And, and uh, David said, that's great. Go get him. Go get him. So they went to get him, and Mephibosheth was scared, thinking David's going to kill me. They brought him to David, and he said, no, no, you have a place at my table. And they carried him to the table. He, the rest of his life. And David took care of him because he said, I honor your grandfather. You know, his grandfather tried to kill him. Saul tried to kill David. And I honor your father. The church, the church needs to go back and understand some things about honor, don't we? Honor is a big deal with God. Big deal. We all stand up with me. You don't, it's three minutes till 12. I came in determined today that if I didn't let you out by 12 noon I would let you up by 12 midnight because I think the church in America has the right to get out of church out of church by 12 on Sunday so a.m. or p.m. praise the Lord father in the name of Jesus thank you for your word Lord this is just a simple little message today about how faith works it's not to see if a man woman boy or girl on the planet is going to say something or do something or act on your word. I thought so many times, Father, that little baby, infant baby that died, was dead in the jungles of Guatemala. My American friend, the medical doctor there with me, pronounced her dead. And I held her up and prayed for her and held her before you for 12 hours. The doctor told me, Terry, I'm concerned about you. Terry, put her down. Terry, she's dead. You understand me? D-E-A-D, dead. Put her down. I'm concerned about you. It didn't work. You prayed every prayer you know. It didn't work. And I've thought so many times, Lord, what if I'd have quit? What if I'd have put her down? What if I'd have stopped at two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours, six hours, seven hours, eight hours, nine hours, ten hours? Boy, at nine hours, he was really on my case to put her down. We'll bury her in the morning. You've been at this for nine hours. I said, Doc, you leave me alone. I'm not going to bury this baby. And I went 10 hours, 11 hours. And at 12 hours, I don't know why it took so long. I guess I'll never know until I get to heaven. But at 12 hours, you raised her up. I told the devil, I said, you might as well leave. I'm not going to quit. If you, you keep staying here, you're just going to keep hearing the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the word of God, because I'm not going to quit. This is my jungle. I'm in authority here, not you. I'm not going to bury this baby. And I guess he got discouraged and left, Father, because at that moment she began to cry in my arms, began to cry. And doctor examined her and said, she's absolutely, completely healed. Wonderful. And she's still alive today. I still hear from her. Grown woman, married, got three kids, serves Jesus. Dead just, just quick, 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 instant. But I didn't quit. Heaven was watching. Heaven was listening. Heaven heard that. Heaven's watching all that. Because I had said to you, I said, Father, 
He can't kill me. He can't hurt me. He can't rob me. I'm a man of God. Your words, Jesus said, he gave me authority over all the power of the enemy. N-O-T-H-I-N-G, nothing, no thing shall by any means hurt me. I said, this man, his gun, his bullets cannot hurt me. Heaven heard all that. Heaven heard every bit of that. And then when he shot, that because heaven was listening and watching. For miracle after miracle, I could tell and tell and tell for hours and hours. Uh, and that's how faith works. So I pray for everyone. I pray that this gets down in their spirit. So I better do the word. And they'll see miracles. In year, months and years to come. Heaven's watching. Heaven's waiting. can move and a great miracle take place. Honor and praise and majesty and dominion. If you're not saved, you're not born again, either here in the that uh, thousands of years from now, you'll be in hell slapping your face saying, you knothead, you pyre. Cut Paul's head off, told him not to preach Jesus, and Paul said, I'm going to, and he cut his head off. And he's been in hell ever since saying, you dummy, you murdered the apostle Paul. And he'll be in, etern- he'll be in hell for eternity. And you don't want to join them. Christians sometimes say, if you get saved, you'll live forever. No, that's, that's a misnomer. Uh, you're going to live forever anyway. Somewhere. You're going to live forever. Either with God or without him. And it's not going to be fun without him. So if you're home or in a hotel room or a, a hospital room and you're watching this today or listening in the future, are you here in the house tonight? Let's just all make sure of your salvation. Everybody, everybody say this out loud after me. And those of you online, say it out loud after me. Say it loud enough for your own ears to hear it. Father, I come before you today to accept Jesus. I believe in my heart. Jesus is the Son of God. He was born of a virgin. He lived on this earth as a man. He died on the cross for me, paid for my sins with his own blood, paid for my healing with his own blood. And by believing on him, I can live with him forever. I declare he is my Lord. I receive him. I'm born again. I'm a Christian. I'll live with you forever. Thank you for washing me in the blood. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for making me a new creature. And I'll serve you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer either here in the house or at home or wherever, then tell somebody. Don't just forget it. Tell somebody. If you're in the house, come tell me. Come tell the ushers. Come tell somebody. If you're online, they've got the address up there or the email address, however they're doing it. uh, Contact them and say, hey, I prayed with Terry Mize and I gave my heart to Jesus because we want to know we want you to know that you're in the family, and uh, we want to know where the family is. We don't you just disappear now. We want to make sure you've got a Bible, that you've got some kind of instruction, some kind of uh, material, that you, you, you're not just left out there by yourself. Amen? Church is family, right? And those of you that have been staying home all this time, throw those pajamas away and come next Sunday. Get in church and uh, show the world that there's something they can look to. Show the world that you're not scared. Show the world that there is hope. Show your neighbors that there is hope. Amen? Because we're not going to let the church go under. We're not going to let the nation go under. Amen? Praise the Lord. Well, we love you. God bless you. Pray for Renee and I as we travel around the world. And if you want one of these brochures, by the way, if you don't have it, there's some out there at the, at the, uh, at, at the tape table. Uh, one thing she didn't say is that since then, we're, all of a sudden the Ukraine thing started happening, so we're funneling money 
to Ukraine, and, and we don't get, we're not giving to the government. I've had so many Christians say to me, but Brother Terry, isn't the, isn't the Ukrainian government corrupt? And I said, yeah, so is America's government. So is Israel's government. Israel's got one of the most corrupt governments in the world, but you know, I love Israel, right? We've never asked that question before. When are we still getting Cuban refugees? Nobody ever said, well, Castro's a communist. We're not going to help them. No, we, we, we help hurting people. And uh, we don't send money to the government. We send people. We're helping thousands and thousands of refugees. In fact, we just bought a car just the other day. Bought a car in Romania uh, for people to go in and take, refu- take supplies in and bring refugees out. And uh, so, so, you know, we're, we're, we're busy. I was, I was doing a Zoom meeting in Ukraine the other day, and I was preaching to a bunch of Christians in Ukraine because I've been all over that country and trained pastors and done all kinds of stuff for years. And all of a sudden, a lady butted in, and she said, she said, Brother Terry, pray for me. The planes are over our village right now shooting at us. I mean, it's real. It's a shooting war, right? So we stopped and started praying, you know, right, right there. But anyway, we're, there's a lot more stuff than, than, than here. Uh, this was for Christmas. Uh, but, but, you know, Christmas has come and gone, and we're still... Uh, but if you want one of these, you're at the table. And if there's not any left, then if you'll just contact our office, we'll mail you one. Or if you're an electronic person, then it just, you can go online, terrymiles.com, and it's, it's there. But I think you'll like it. You'll enjoy it. It's not a fundraiser. It's just a report on what we've, what we've done. So, Pastor, praise the Lord. Come rescue these folks.